Emma, and I'm listening from the UK. We all want our children to lead fulfilled lives, but we're surrounded by conflicting information and clickbait headlines that leave us wondering what to do as parents. The Your Parenting Mojo podcast distills scientific research on parenting and child development into tools parents can actually use every day in their real lives with their real children. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes are released and get a free infographic on the 13 reasons your child isn't listening to you and what to do about each one, just head on over to yourparentingmojo.com forward slash subscribe. And pretty soon, you're going to get tired of hearing my voice read this intro. So come and record one yourself at yourparentingmojo.com forward slash record the intro. Welcome to this very special episode of Your Parenting Mojo. I'm Corrine. And I'm Iris, and we are your guest host for today's podcast. And I was about to joke that I'm actually Jen and just have this like a uh, disguise or something. But um, <laughs> so <laughs> in early November, Jen sent the members and I think all of the Your Parenting Mojo listeners. And she said that Your Parenting Mojo reached a special milestone. And um, it's that milestone is that. Jen has created or have created over 200 episodes. Like, isn't that amazing, Corrine? It's just like, ooh, 200 <laughs> plus. <laughs> and to celebrate this milestone, uh, Jen and her husband, Alvin, have thought of a fun way for podcast listeners and parenting group members to be involved. And that is asking very different questions than what we might normally ask. And so... If you read my book, Parenting Beyond Power, or even if you've just been around the podcast for a while, you know that identifying children's needs is pretty important. But you have needs too. When you can learn to understand and meet your needs more often, you won't feel triggered by your child's behavior as much. And when you can understand and meet their needs, they'll stop doing the things that drive you up the wall right now. And then life really does get a lot easier. In the Taming Your Triggers workshop, you'll learn how to find and meet your child's needs so you can be the parent you want to be. Enrollment is open right now until Wednesday, February 28th. We have an option to join me for group coaching calls, as well as sliding scale pricing and a money back guarantee. Sign up now and we'll get started on Monday, March 4th at yourparentingmojo.com forward slash Taming Your Triggers. We get to ask Alvin anything we like, but just to clarify, this is not, these kinds of questions are not like, what's the square root of four to a million of places? Or is there life after that? Not those kinds of questions, but he doesn't know the answer to those questions anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So Corrine, what can the listeners expect from this podcast? So today during this Ask Alvin Anything episode, you, the listeners, will get to learn more about Alvin and at the same time, learn more about Jen and their life beyond your parenting mojo. So we hope this will be a fun and honest conversation. Iris and I will both be asking questions. Wait, there's a beyond your parenting mojo? Beyond. (laughs) There's a beyond. Uh, We think we're going to find out. But uh, Jen... (laughs) Jen will also be part of the conversation. She's here today, but she gets to take a break from hosting. And many of the questions came from listeners. So we'll hear some of those recorded questions throughout the episode today. And Iris, before we begin, should we introduce ourselves? 
Oh, that's right. So I'm Iris and based in Vancouver, Canada, but I'm originally from the Philippines. So that's my Filipino accent, right? you know about there so i'm a mama of an almost nine year old daughter who's affectionate smart and feisty and you know and i've been following jen's work for over five years now i think and i've been a member of the your parenting mojo for about that time as well parenting membership membership yeah yeah <laughs> and jen's taming your trigger workshop has had a great impact on me and i feel really privileged to have been a peer coach in some of the workshop in the past year so one thing very exciting that happened in september is that i had the opportunity to meet jen and her family as part of jen's uh, book tour here in vancouver and so it was so delightful and yet a little bit surreal because, you know, this person I always see online and listen to her in, in my ear for well, like when I'm washing the dishes, but here she is in front of me or beside me or something like that. So it was kind of surreal that way. And yeah, it was a real pleasure for me to meet Jen and Alvin and Karis was just wonderful. And um, yeah, I'm so excited for what's going to happen. <laughs> I will say that I, I know I know Iris not through anything except for editing like testimonial videos and the occasional like I don't know call that I interrupt. But I must say that people need to get to know Iris in person. Oh because the Iris in person that I know and met is exponentially I mean, not to take away from your video persona, oh, but <laughs> but your actual persona is like incredible oh uh, so thank you it was awesome to meet you yeah thanks alvin i think you're saying that so that we will go easy on you material <laughs> <laughs> <Maybe>. motives <laughs> and kareen how about you yes uh, i'm kareen i'm a mama of a two-year-old and i live in portland oregon with my family and I found your parenting mojo through Courtney Dern of Beach Street Parenting. Uh, she's a local playgroup leader, and it's an awesome little community we have here. I'm so grateful for it and also grateful that I find resources like your parenting mojo uh, through that gr same group. And I recently attended one of Jen's workshops uh, during the book tour here in Portland, and I got to chat with Alvin, uh, which was really, really nice. And I actually gleaned some good parenting insights from Alvin <laughs> in our brief chat. <laughs> it, it bleeds uh, over. It, I really did. I, I was like, I got to tell my husband. I just feel like he had some great thoughts. And so I'm excited for today's conversation because we'll get to hear a lot more. I think it's um this is a very good place to start your love story with Jen but I will set this up Alvin so that you know it's it's in a not your usual story so for a moment imagine that I'm a film producer and you're a script writer and you want to give me the the busy film producer an elevate elevator pitch of the Jen Alvin love story. So what would that elevator pitch sound like? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely inappropriate workplace relationship. And that's definitely she went after me. Okay. It was not the role reversal. So we met in an ad agency. That's a whole nother story, but I'll try to keep it. 
elevator pitch. Succinct. Oh yeah, elevator pitch. Yeah, an appropriate work so workplace. Workplace. Yeah, and she asked you out. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know how to tell. The, I'm trying to figure out how to tell this as succinctly as possible. But how old were we? A while ago. Well, B BC before Karis. We both used to work for an ad agency. It was at a time when I sort of ping-ponged between coasts, between New York and California. And I had come back after the dot-com bust and got roped back into advertising. And at... Oh man, I'm, I'm stumbling now. I can't, I can't figure out how to tell this. Let's restart. <laughs> the elevator pitch is what gets me. I think Hiker Mary's Biker. I think... I think uh, inappropriate workplace relationship. And then I think when we used to meet new people as a couple, she would introduce herself before your parenting or Joe as someone who saves the world. And I sell people shit that they don't need. And that's how our, like at the holiday parties, that's like, hey, I'm Alvin. Yeah. That's, <laughs> well, it was true. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so. To, to answer your question, I'd say inappropriate workplace relationship, where she actually went after me. It wasn't the traditional patriarchal patriarchal <laughs> movie script. <laughs> anyway, yeah, you could edit that or keep that in or whatever. But I used to be a middle middle manager, sub middle manager person. I was it was probably I was young. We were both young, but uh, she was. Like I, when I met her, I didn't know if she was 18 or 21 or like, like I had no idea. She used to work for the general manager of the entire ad agency, uh, who was basically my boss's boss. Okay. And the boss's boss of boss's boss of like everyone else. She had a little fruit stand like in her cubicle, which was also kind of bizarre. Like I'd never seen anyone eat so much fruit. And she used to come into work with like basically a hiking backpack mm -hmm. and like, so I didn't know she's coming from high school or what, like, <laughs> or if she was an intern or like, I had no idea. All I know is she was like a witty kind of British person who worked for basically the president of the company. And I occasionally saw the president of the company when my boss asked me to get anything coordinated get resources, any high-level stuff that she needed my help with. And when I would, she was basically the gateway to the high-powered person. And that's how we sort of got to know each other. And I think part of that story is also, the time we met, I was a little bit, I had taken some time off after 9-11. And now, this is a result of her. I actually can grow my hair long, but she <laughs> prefers it clean shaven it's cheap <laughs> and it's it saves a lot of money which is helpful given the last several years of growing your parenting mojo but when I, we met i had i don't know if this is culturally appropriate but i looked like a japanese rock star with long bleached hair and long sideburns we'll try and find a picture to put on the episode oh yes yeah kind of like a japanimation character right and she was not into party animals but i wasn't a party animal i just Look, look like one. I know. Was finding myself during this transitionary phase. But then my boss, who's another lovely person who I think Iris would love to meet, this woman, Caroline, very charismatic. 
Based, she it's a different. She likes to tell a different story. Caroline saw a lot of potential in me, and was wondering what was up with my hair. And I was like, you know, I just told her what what was up. And she kind of suggested that if I wanted to move up in the company, that maybe I could present myself in a different way. Um, Caroline's a straight shooter. I love her. And I'm like, ah, I don't care. Whatever. I tried to get out of advertising. I'm here. This is the least elevator pitch I've ah. ever heard. Anyways, I shaved my head. And all of a sudden, on her side, it was on. Ah, okay. Like, and, and the... And the, the funny thing was after a couple of cross inter, you know meetings in the hallways, I feel like she made a what I thought was like a very curious comment uh when she came by my my office cubicle thing where I wasn't sure like I'm, I was thinking to myself what what was that interaction so I quickly, which I often do, I go off of my gut versus my brain and I just open up an email window and email her really quickly something like like what is up like basically she was giving me attitude and i didn't know where it's coming from so i emailed her I'm like dude what's up she replies back something like i don't know maybe it's because i think you're funny maybe i think it's blah 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 or maybe it's because i think you're cute i'm like whoa did she just email me that and again i didn't think i just thought this would be that's interesting i'm gonna be super funny and give her a heart attack right back. And I just went, I'm reporting you to HR. Send. <laughs> That's and then I let her sweat it for a little for probably 45 seconds. And I think I either went over to her cubicle or said just kidding or something. And that uh, became the least productive day probably office like you know, known to mankind. And before I know it, I, I was in denial the whole time. Before I know it, we're Plan, making plans to meet up after work. She asked me to go on a hike, and I'm thinking, I must have been, I don't know how old it is, but I was thinking like, okay, we're going to go for a casual walk, go get a coffee or something. And she, forgetting that her backpack and her hiking boots when she goes to work, and she's like, okay, I'll pick you up at like seven or six or five in the morning. I'm like, what? Who is this person? I was thinking more like noon. Um, <laughs> but it was like the longest first non-date that i could think of i made her watch braveheart oh She's oh it. But yeah yeah so that was that was the beginning of the end okay wait so you went on a hike and watched braveheart in one oh date? man and yeah. went out for indian food which i paid for by the way that's a whole nother thing <laughs> i was so tired from the hike it was like a not six or nine mile hike in point Reyes. six miles with like it was like nine feet of climbing like nine miles nothing <laughs> it was a long day yeah. and we went out for indian food somehow and the, all right so this is for i mean people listening you realize they have like 50 other questions right? i know but for people listening i mean everyone's probably for those of you who are single parents and and parenting whatever looking for a partner jen's way of guaranteeing a second date is to steal the check and to pay for it so that then I feel compelled to ask her on a second date. And that's what happened. You could edit. Well, Jen, I think that's a very good strategy. And like woman power. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alvin, um, that elevator pitch, the building must be very, very tall. But well, the film producer is, is still um, listening. And the tagline under the title of the movie will be like something like, 
biker marries hiker or something like that. Biker so, marries biker. That was a theme to our wedding. Yeah. So I was, a, I was a big biker and she's a hiker. Yeah. Um, so Alvin, I'm I'm curious. So you mentioned a f- um, some qualities of Jen that you know made her like you know made you curious about her. What other qualities of Jen that really drew you to her? No, I think, I don't know if it's Courtney or some other friends of ours. I think we're attracted to each other, like, because of, like, some, we're very different, I think, I guess is what I'm trying to say. In many ways, we're very different, but in many ways, we're also very the same. And it's interesting, over time, we sort of converged in a way that I never would have anticipated, um, if that makes any sense. I can elaborate on that. But I think I, I saw, I've always seen someone as very honest and genuine and wearing things on her sleeve. And she also, I guess I was also curious. And when we first met, drawn by like, who is this person? Partially because she didn't let preconceived, I guess, ideas get in the way of things she wanted to do or accomplish, right? And I think your parenting mojo, the book, there's like littered proof of stuff that she's done that many people wouldn't think to do because of established cultural norms. And I think stuff like at the very beginning where like she'd show up with a hardcore backpack and the fruit stand at her desk or like be the one to pursue me and then go from like a laid back date to be like, okay, we're going to pick up at nine and end at midnight and we're going to hike and go out to dinner. And like what I made her watch Braveheart, but to like, you know, she, I don't know if listeners know or not, no, don't know when Karis was eight, eight weeks, eight or 10 weeks, six weeks old, Jen and Karis hiked the Tour de Mont Blanc. Right. And by the time Karis was two years old, she had been on 24 flights and they'd hiked all over the place, you know, in Ireland, in Wales, all across the U.S. So what person in the right mind would take an infant hiking in the Alps, right? Or think that anything except for that's insane. And she did it. Um, And she's done it. So I've always been sort of intrigued and half scared, probably, by these things, but more intrigued. And now here we are with Paris, who's nine years old. We're homeschooling. And again, that's another one of those things where my background is very traditional, right? Uh, First generation Filipino immigrant parents born in New Jersey, top-down parenting, study well, become a doctor, Type thing. So when she first mentioned like the homeschooling and a lot of these ideas that were the very beginnings to the podcast, I had a very strong knee-jerk reaction half the time. And I think over the course of time, I, I've kept going, leaning closer and closer in, and things have converged because they've been effective and I've gotten a deeper understanding and managed to be more self-aware as well as aware of my surroundings in terms of the cultural stuff, the Filipino stuff, right? The traditional stuff, that the patriarchal type stuff. Because I think like a lot of these are buzzwords, but when it comes down to like the everyday stuff and we like 
start to question it and ask why, it, may, it makes more sense once you get past that, like, well, everything my my parents, my own parents taught me, I'm sort of fighting in, in certain circumstances, right? Like the idea of having to wear shoes all the time or having to put a sweater on when you go outside, even though you're not cold. The just because stuff. I have a lot of just because stuff because I grew up in uh, with uh, Filipino parents, first generation, who really cared about my safety, who moved from the Philippines for a successful life for me. And, you know, thanks to them, I can think bigger now. But they were very concerned about basic needs back then. Yeah. Your answer to that question makes me think of many different directions. And um, I'm thinking, Corinne, that would you like, we will go with the flow here, and would you like to jump to the next part? And I, I will find a way for the other questions that is here in our in our list. Yeah, yeah, that I was thinking the same. You started to touch on some questions that we wanted to ask you about your experience growing up. So yeah, to start, could you tell us what your childhood was like and how your family interactions were growing up? You mentioned it, more of a traditional parenting style, your parents being more focused on basic needs and that being different than where you're at today. So could you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in New Jersey. My parents came from the Philippines. My mother is a nurse and a I guess some 50 years ago, she was recruited out of nursing school to come to New Jersey with a bunch of, you know, her colleagues and stuff. So they were new to America, finding their own way. And I think in general, like, I grew up in a very safe, loving environment. It's interesting to think back to, like, that time and see how it impacts us, right? Like, I don't think we really realize how much of an effect it has on us, both good and bad. I think we get set in our ways, and as we have children, we start to re, re start to think about how some of our knee jerk reactions, and our struggles, like what's happening with our own children, and as we re examine that, we find that how we were parented has an impact on them. And I think for me, like my parents were so loving, and my house was so safe, but part of the challenge was the tools that they had and the circumstances in which they came from the Philippines, their focus was on that, right? So making me feel safe, making me feel loved, like there is no like arguing that I am who I am because of that. Like I feel, I'm so confident. I feel very strong when i have a point of view i feel very protective even though that might not translate to how people want me to help them or treat them or might be that might not be the best way to help people but the the thing that i think and this probably is culturally across a lot of like asian households maybe spanish and mexican households where it's like a really tight more tight-knit like family orientation versus nuclear family but like communication wasn't big and feelings wasn't big. It was the more traditional role of like respect your elders, right? The idea that where you are in the family structure is more traditional and patriarchal. And the fact that 
it doesn't really matter. You're a kid. You're going to listen to me because I'm older. You're going to respect, you know, uncle and auntie, tita, tito, because they're older. You know, they have this thing in the Filipino culture where you like bow down and kiss their hand and stuff, mm-hmm. which was pretty funny because I think when I was younger, I initially did it, but pretty early on, I'm like, I'm not doing that. My parents are like, come on, Alvin. I'm like, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. So other families in our barcada, which is like family circle in the Philippines, would be stuck like putting their hand on whatever. And I'd be, I just walk away. You were also the oldest boy. I was also the oldest boy. Yeah. really had an impact. But I think, yeah, yeah. So I'm like a sea of girls. Yeah, and I, yes. I was the oldest boy in Sea of Girls. I, I, I've apologized to them multiple times on how I've treated them when I was a kid. I, I gave them tough love, but maybe it was a little too tough at times. But yeah, like in, I guess in a nutshell, I came from a very loving family, but it definitely has those pitfalls of like traditional top-down parenting. And where it's had an impact with us is not necessarily with me per se, but when it, and I'm sure lots of parents out there struggle with this, it comes down to their, their grandchild, right? It comes to Karis and their interactions with Karis. And this idea of like, they really are confused at times at how we parent and why why the things that we do. And they they try to learn, but they just, it's it's like their systems are so wired based on how they were parented, it doesn't compute. And where I've run into a lot of challenges in the past is when I have this false sense of security that it's it's actually seeping in and they're starting to get to understand it. Because even if they are understanding it for that moment in time, when the stress test comes and the inflection point comes, they revert to how they were parented and the, how they parented me. And I think it, it has caused like major disruption and and challenges in the past. But I've sort of come full circle myself in realizing that they're not going to change and they have limited time left and I'll do my, we'll try to do our best to continue to communicate and sort of express why we do what we do. But I think they're also starting to see like, as Karis gets older, like, you know, they still question stuff like the homeschooling type stuff, but Karis is, is certainly growing up to be, I don't know how to say this, She's herself. She's herself. Mm-hmm. She is, I don't want to say an unorthodox child, but like. She's the fullest version of herself. She is the fullest version of herself. Like, mm-hmm. she has a voice. She has feelings. She thinks in ways that most nine-year-olds probably don't think. She questioned things that most nine-year-olds probably don't think of because of the structures around, like, normal stuff. I can't wait to talk to Karis when she's, like, older, older and be like, mm-hmm. what do you think Childhood. She'll probably be like, you messed us up, me up so badly. All I wanted was to tell me what to do. do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I appreciate that. I um, We have my parents living with us, so we have an intergenerational household. And yeah, the, the grandparents have so much to offer, right? And like support and love for the grandchildren. And yet there's differences that may not, we may not co- ever come together because some of those things are very ingrained and, and it's just kind of a way of life, but there's a little meat in the middle. Every once in a while, we have good, those good moments too. 
So yeah, I really appreciate that. I know I'm sure almost every listener has the same same kind of challenge from time to time. Yeah, I think what, what they have learned, especially over the, over the course of like the book tour and the workshops that we conducted over the last three months, or she conducted and I recorded and filmed and stuff, is um, which helped for how I wrapped my own head around my relationship with my own parents and how they grandparent. Because again, everyone has needs, right? Like core, basic needs. And when we get in these conflicts, I'm realizing now more than ever that, you know, my parents have a need to be involved or have this role in the life of my our daughter. And the strategies or how they're fulfilling that need that's where we get hung up on and that's where they fall back on like the past. So if they have a need for a relationship, their idea of a relationship is top down, right? Is like the grandparent telling and teaching the kid, not having a conversation and asking and really listening to the kid, right? It's more of a linear one-way thing. So when it doesn't go that way, that's when problems have arisen. But what I need to do, what I need to remind myself of is my parents or the grandparents are acting in a way and behaving in a way that is familiar to them out of that core need. When grandpa wants to interact and play with Karis, he doesn't see or think about like necessarily two-way interaction or pulling at threads to get Karis curious and to like teach her in a way that is child-led learning, for example, right? He goes to, I want, I have this need for connection with my granddaughter based on my toolbox. That means I need to teach her something, right? Draw your letters, your alphabet like this. And he thinks that if Paris is not engaged or not drawing things properly, he's failing as a grandparent. So it's this narrative in his own head that makes him double down or then questions, why is she not going to school? Why are you guys parenting this way? She can't even spell her name. All based on his need for connection with our daughter, right? So the needs, the core needs are there and pure. And I think when we focus on that stuff, we have a greater sense of empathy. Everybody, right? What's Karis's need in that? moment her need with is the same as grandpa's need she has a need for connection with her with grandpa so they have the same needs but her need for joy her need for autonomy her need for like authenticity authenticity isn't lining up with grandpa's linear way of thinking elders know best i know best this kid is not listening to me I want to connect with this kid, but I don't have the tools to connect with this kid. So I'm done because Jen and Alvin have no idea what they're doing. And, and then it gets like this. So now at least I'm better equipped to understand, like, it's still coming from a place for, from, of love. But again, as I mentioned, communication wasn't a strong point in our family growing up or a valued thing. It was like, I'm older, you listen. So now moving forward, I think we're better equipped to spend time together because at least I know 
and can have, be better equipped to think about needs. So if there's any stuff that comes up, I like I really try to think about okay, what's going on? What's what's underneath all this? Because on the surface, it's strategies and it's it's just like the narrative that either I have in my head, Karis is in her head, or grandpa or grandma have in their heads. It is it's it's not necessarily everyone's reality. Now let's switch gears and hear a bit about how Jen's work has influenced you both. Uh, we received a question about how Jen's work affected her parenting. So let's listen to that recording from Jody. Hi, Jen and Alvin. Congratulations on 200 episodes. Thank you for the thousands of hours of research and preparation that has gone into the podcast. It has really helped me many, many times in my parenting journey. I look forward to the next 200 episodes. So my question for Alvin is this. Could you describe what Jen was like before she even started to research into parenting compared to how she is now? What are some of the major shifts that you saw in her and what aspects of her that have remained constant over the years? Ooh. That's an interesting question. Can you even remember? I don't, no, that I can. No, I don't think so. Jen is still the same person. Like, I don't think anything's really changed except for she's got more tools right? like i think she's very she's always been a very research oriented person and not like her thirst for knowledge and curiosity for knowledge has always been in there but i guess the podcast i don't know if he knew thanks for your question by the way but i don't know if he knew that the podcast was sort of born out of the simple need, the needs that you had as a parent to get answers to our parent, our own parenting struggles. And I think it never connected for you until Chana's kid came to our house. And I think listeners know about this story. It's been a while. I think it's been um, sure. not. I think, you know, we had before Karis, we had some friends come over with their child and we have a kind of a long hallway connecting our bedrooms to the main living area. Jack, Jack, Jack started running down the hallway. Shauna said, Jack, can you please come here or stop or something like that in a nice like voice, right? And the kid, maybe less than two years old, like stopped dead on his tracks and walked back. If you're snapping at your children more often than you'd like, the Taming Your Triggers workshop will really help once you understand the real reasons why you feel triggered, which have nothing to do with you being a terrible parent, and start to heal from the hurts you've experienced, you'll find more spaciousness to imagine that things could be different. And of course, we've got tools for you as well to help you work with your child to meet your needs for rest and ease and collaboration more often, and to meet your child's needs as well. Join me for optional group coaching calls if you'd like to dig even deeper. The people who do this usually say it was their favorite part of the whole workshop. Enrollment is open right now until Wednesday, February 28th. Sign up at yourparentingmojo.com forward slash taming your triggers. And I didn't think of anything of it, but Jen was like, how did you do that? Like, <laughs> what? And that's where she learned about respectful infant educator. Right. right. Resources for infant educators. Resources for infant educators, um, and it's basically set down, set her down this path of like, okay, there are tools out there, I just don't know of them. And she went from initially having a, I wish it was still up. She had a blog around 
parenting, hiking, and making stuff, mm -hmm. which I think there might be an article still out there on her, her hike with Karis Tour de Mont Blanc off of Only Planet? No. Cicerone. Cicerone. Guidebook Company. They published a blog. We can link to it in the um, <laughs> In any case, to answer the question, I think Jen's always been the same. You know, she believes what she believes in. And she's not like one of those people who says something and doesn't act or her values don't come through in what she does and says. She's definitely not a hypocrite. <laughs> she she likes to live what she believes. And I think as the podcast grew and evolved, the toolbox just grew and evolved. So everything leading up into this point was just an organic journey. Um, and I think it presents itself that way. I, I think both Jen and I often, when trying to figure out the business aspect or like how we want to continue evolving your parenting mojo, and now that it's tied to our like our livelihoods, looking back, it's like my old world was advertising and marketing and businesses. I look back and I sort of cringe because I'm like, it feels all over the place or it feels like we're not strategic. But I think that's part of because it just evolved organically. Like Jen, Jen's goal was never to build this community or platform to help parents in a way that, you know, was measured in any way. She just sort of did it to help herself. And then initially like, if I'm helping myself, I should help others. And then as she started helping others, this was really the very core, just wanting to help. Even when we pivoted and started making this more of our livelihood, Jen's never wanted to think about, okay, how is this as a business? What do these decisions mean so that we could put food on the table? It's been like, Iris needs my help. The membership needs my help, right? People who can't afford to pay need my help. So yeah, it's 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 basically been the same. It's just like an evolution and more tools and greater maturity as we have these tools at our disposal. I'm autistic now. I wasn't before. It makes a lot more sense. No, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're always autistic. You wasn't know. Yeah, I was a jerk. Yeah, it makes yeah. I used to I used to want to print T-shirts for her that said hardcore. Just because when she ever she wanted to do something, like she wanted to do it. She didn't want to mess around, which most of the time I'm like, yes. And some of the time I'm like, no way. Oh, my God. <laughs> so. All right, um, next question. But no regrets with your parenting mojo. Like, glad that that, that was done hardcore. <laughs> Me or her? <laughs> For you, Me? yeah. Oh, man, that's a difficult question. Um, <laughs> I, I think... The greatest part of your parenting mojo is Jen found her calling. Prior to this, she used to do corporate environmental strategy and sustainability consulting. So she's always cared about the environment and the world. So it's a, like a natural progression that we have this little human that had that caring about the world now has even greater meaning because our daughter is going to be in the world longer than we'll be in, hopefully, right? But then your parenting mojo has turned into this community. Um, and it's basically our livelihoods. And when the two intersect, as I'm finding out with photography in my own journey, I used to I used to have a day job, and I also am a photographer. 
But there's this intersection now, like, as I had mentioned with your parenting mojo, Jen wants to just genuinely help. Mm-hmm. If we remove the money aspect or the financial aspect, it wouldn't change what she would like to do. But it makes it a pressure cooker at times because it's how we feed ourselves now. Mm-hmm. For me, photography is one of those things where, like, my passion for photography was reignited at my last full-time position working for a small hybrid agency creative production company but i sort of jumped into photography because i thought saw it as an art form and loved doing it like when i used to shoot film as a kid but now part of that journey is realizing if i'm turning it into a business there are certain considerations that i didn't have to worry about when it was just a hobby mm-hmm. so i think your parenting mojo is not a hobby, but it's more than a business. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's essentially Jen's legacy. I, I firmly believe it's, especially coming off of the book tour and meeting parents. It's funny. So I got to tell this one sidebar story. As we're like, I think we're in Colorado and I'm meeting parents and I'm filming and I'm introducing myself and we're meeting, we're, we're having, I'm talking about the panel events coming up and how we have like founder of Moms Against Racism Canada coming. And we have uh, someone in, in Vancouver who spent decades as an activist and been in the you know Canadian government. Then they're listening to me and they're like, hold on, Alvin, you know, Jen's kind of a big deal, right? <laughs> I'm like, uh, I guess. <laughs> Still kind of dead, so, but no, but that's my way of saying like, I, I, and I believe this is just because I'm in it, right? There's such a huge hole in the parenting space where we don't even know what we don't know. And I think most parents can agree that like, you don't know what it's like to be a parent until you're in it. And like, holy crap, when you're in it, even when things are going well, you're like, what did I get myself into? What the heck's going on? And then in the blink of an eye, it's like nine years later and you're like, what the deep right and i think time is precious and heck my website's every day is your birthday so i'm like definitely seize the moment time is precious and but there's so much like stuff that happens on the day-to-day and stresses and you see it on your face you see it on your friends faces you feel it and people like to say like there's these moments of joy that makes it all worthwhile but no one tells you you don't have to go through the hell right like we just go through the hell thinking it's part of the course when most of the hell is self-inflicted. I would say a lot of the hell is self-inflicted, but based on culture, based on stuff that we just don't know any better. So I think there's so many tools that I've learned that I initially had knee-jerk reactions to that I've learned actually make life a lot easier. And I think those knee-jerk reactions earlier on, right, like to these tools, as even Jen was learning about these tools, I'm like, oh, whatever. What is that mumbo jumbo? I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing you. And I'm realizing that I have a good relationship with Karis. I never had a bad relationship with her, but Jen had a relationship with her that I was like, okay, maybe those tools or those strategies that Jen is using has a, a greater impact. Maybe what I thought was benign is actually having a negative effect. And it could be, like, basically, I realized one day that while 
my connection with Karis was good. It can be better and it should be better. So why am why am I like doing Groundhog Day and using the same stuff? So I think sum it back up. I think your parenting mojo and what Jen's doing is important, special. And I think that when all is said and done, she's gonna have a legacy that even though, you know, we might have some stresses when it comes to it as a business and supporting us as we both are working a lot around the clock. Like we just got off the book tour, which was very intense and took a lot of time and energy. And then we got COVID and all this other stuff. But I think it's going to be all worthwhile. And it's 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 bigger than us. I firmly believe it's bigger than us. So it deserves the, the time and energy we put into it. Mm-hmm. Well, that was really beautiful. We're all grateful for Jen's work and Alvin, how you are a part of it. And I know it means a lot to do work that is meaningful. So I'm really glad that you have that in your life, Jen. We have some questions. You mentioned your relationship with Karis. We have some questions about being a father to Karis. First, what are some ways that Karis is different from you and Jen that you find interesting? Different. Ah, she likes to be naked all the time. <laughs> and you're like, I'm freezing. <laughs> yeah, like I, I don't know what it is. I'm getting old, and like my circulation isn't as good, or something. Like, and I'm definitely this year in particular. I, I just feel cold all the time. And she does. Yeah, she, she does. Hers doesn't like shoes. It loves going around bare feet. And when and if she didn't have to wear clothes, she just wouldn't wear clothes. Uh, it doesn't care. It doesn't matter temperature. I kind of like clothes. I think you like clothes. Well, you kind of like clothes. But I think I, when I look at Karis, I don't necessarily see how she's different than both of us. I see how she's the same as both of us. But like, you know, the mashup. Mm-hmm. And I love it when she's more like me than Jen. It's like, awesome. <laughs> For example. <laughs> For example, she likes dance music mm-hmm. and house music it puts her to sleep it puts her to sleep in the car yeah it's bizarre wow, wow. Um, i'm tired can you put some house music on so i can take a nap it's a um she loves loud music i think she's definitely a lot more not that you're not charismatic uh-huh. but she's i think she picks up the let's say energy from my side of the family Right? She's better with people than I am. Yeah. Yeah. No, but she's more animated. Sure. She's a lot. You're not. Yeah. Are you animated? Not necessarily. No. No. Yeah. I'm. I can be animated. Mm. My grandma. That's was, a synonym. Synonym for that is loud. <laughs> um. So, Jared's, once she's warmed up, she's. You know, no one would ever accuse you of being the life of the party. Very true. I can see Karis as being life of the party when she gets warmed up yeah yeah i'm not saying i could be the life of the party but i have a greater chance maybe Karis has the best chance of the three of us so um but in jen uh, Karis obviously has the curiosity of jen they're always tinkering but yeah it's it's it, i mean i think any parent can attest to this like seeing your kids and then seeing a part of you in them and seeing part of your partner in them it's like an amazing joy i think to me yeah, thank you, Alvin. That's 
amazing to hear about Karis, especially as someone with a younger child. Um, just seeing her blossom into herself sounds really wonderful. So we received a similar question from CG about Jen's work, but this one focuses on how it has impacted Alvin. So let's take a listen. Hi, Jen. Hi, Alvin. Thank you so much for this opportunity to ask you a question. Mine is, like many parents challenged with inviting their spouses to join them on this parenting journey with YPM practices, I am wondering if there might be something in your experience that may be informative. In the past 10 years since Jen embarked on her parenting journey together, on your parenting journey together, what would you say has shifted for you the most as a parent, as a person? Thank you. That's a good question. I mean, I think sort of like as you had mentioned, I was talking about before, coming from a safe, very stable, loving family, I never thought to question my own parenting style and approach. And I never thought that, I never stressed out or worried that I'd be doing something wrong. Whereas I thought I would be a terrible parent. I was 100% convinced that I was going to be the worst parent in the world. Yeah, so, and I think, like with anything, I have a certain level of confidence that, like, I'm not afraid of not knowing something. Never been. I've always been, you know, secure and confident that I could figure it out. I worked in advertising where getting laid off is just part of the course, shifting jobs and agencies multiple times over. And I think I remember the first time I either quit or got laid off. It wasn't fear. It was like excitement <laughs> that, you know, I was flooded with. I'm like, okay, now what? And I think with parenting, I always just felt like I would figure it out. But as you make that transition of like figuring out to like the kid not doing exactly what you're hoping for them to do. I think through that, or those frustrations or those experiences, again, you can either keep repeating and beating yourself, you know, against the wall over and over, or you can look at the situation and and ask yourself, am I really doing the best job in this situation? And again, it wasn't anything, I don't think, in particular, but when I saw like Jen having a different kind of relationship with Karis or like a level of relationship with Karis that I didn't have in terms of trust and communication. It made me think about whether or not some of these pain points in terms of what we thought were the right approaches for parenting, if I was maybe wrong. Right. Or if I, or maybe I wasn't I was doing things that weren't as productive. So maybe they were benign in the short term, but do they have longer term implications? Long Can you give an example for parents? I think it's like, you know, the that need of always telling or guiding someone, in particular your children, versus holding space mm. for them, right? Actually, I actually I do have a good one. It's this notion of repair, right? This idea of like we're not the per we're not perfect parents, but what's most important is our relationship with our children and the trust 
so that when something goes wrong, for example, I'm having a bad day, I'm feeling really tired, I'm feeling stressed. Karis does something that might be a little like loud or, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to judge, but if she does something that irritates me, but it's perfectly normal, and I think one day I like kind of was a little too firm with her, you know, maybe I yelled at her and she got upset, right? So in that instance, I almost immediately knew that it wasn't her, it was me. And it was my need for, you know, again, needs. Her need for joy is what came up against my need for peace and my need for quiet, my need for calm. And her need for joy and being loud irritated me because I was in this headspace and I yelled at her. Or I told her to be quiet in a way firm voice. And she went obviously off running to mama or something, right? This is when she was younger. What I realized at that time was it was me. So first and foremost, I realized it was me. It was my needs. It wasn't my daughter. And then I also realized that I can fix this and I could apologize to my daughter and apologize in a way that says, hey, I am sorry that I yelled at you or I rose my voice too loud or whatever it was, right? I want you to know it wasn't your fault. I did that because I'm really tired. I'm feeling sick. I have a headache. And I realized all you really wanted to do was to play with me or to show me your boy or to show me something. So it wasn't about you. It was about me. And again, I want you to know that I'm sorry. So the first time I did that, she basically said, I know and hugged me. Right? It, like, was, it was an unexpected response. She basically accepted the apology hugged me, and then everything was back to sort of normal. But the thing is, it was a new normal, because what I didn't anticipate was that repair or that interaction, all of a sudden, she looked at me in a different way moving forward. She saw, I guess she saw me, not that she was feeling not safe with me, or not that she was feeling maybe not respected by me, but the level, again, of safeness, level of respect, the level of communication just we broke through the ceiling so all of a sudden after that i noticed my relationship with karis was like on a whole different level because i basically owned up to like my part in a difficult interaction and i guess she knew that if that were to happen again that it might that i would own it again which is different from like me just being the authority telling her how she should feel or how she should act Right. So I think it's our, it's interesting because over the course of like the last four years, we've gone through COVID and we've gone through hell, right? As as a as a population, as a work. And I think irony through that is that coincided with the time period where I left my advertising, my safe like corporate job to jump into photography. Jen, you know, got laid off from her grab as COVID hit and fast track your parenting mojo full time. So all of a sudden we went from two decent, well-paying jobs to responsible for a whole income as the world was basically ending and all the stress. And in those four years, our greatest pain points and stresses was never about Karis. Like parents would probably want to kill me for saying this. 
my friends will definitely want to kill me for saying this, but like Karis was never the primary like headache. What are we going to do with her tomorrow? What's the curriculum we're going to have for her? And we homeschooled. It was always like, what are we doing on your parenting mojo? How are we going to build this as a business? How are we going to build, get content? So we're actually helping parents through this difficult period of time. And Jen was working 18-hour days, except for like the one or two hours she dedicated towards focused Karis time for like 18 months straight with one day off a month. So like, if you can imagine the last, you know, the 18 months of when COVID hit, that was Jen's basically rinse and repeat. Wake up, seven o'clock, log on, work on contact, support the members, figure out other stuff. All right, play time with Karis for an hour, investigating like stuff, go back. And she'd do that until 10 o'clock at night and wake up the next morning. And I don't know, I was like like a free safety, spending time with Karis, supporting Jen in terms of stuff that needed to get done. But I could generally say, like, again, that during the most stressful time period of all of our lives with COVID hitting, our daughter was never like a major pain point. Like, and I say that because I know like, I can imagine like the torture chamber that is COVID being locked up in the house with your kids. Like I, I, I empathize with that. And I actually empathize and struggled with seeing our own friends going through that. And, you know, no one wants unsolicited parenting advice, but I definitely have sat there on more than one occasion listening to my close friends tell me how, you know, they wanted to punch themselves in the face and they were having problems with their kids or challenges and stress with their partners because they're not seeing eye to eye. And to me, it was like, we're not experiencing that. And by the way, I like I know what you should be or can be doing to help yourself. But I couldn't say anything because like, you don't want to do that. Like you just can't. So the tools, all of it, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say like, I adopted it from day one. Heck no. Like I fought it hard. Or I didn't even fight it. I'm like, was like, that's nice. <laughs> right. I listened to podcasts, but you know, I didn't listen to every podcast. I would try to pick up on things that she was doing that fit within my idea of what how I wanted to parent. Don't forget that if you want to be with your children in a way that's aligned with your values instead of reacting in the heat of the moment, taming your triggers will give you the insight and tools you need to do that. Enrollment is open now until midnight Pacific on Wednesday, February 28th. We have sliding scale pricing and a money back guarantee. Sign up at yourparentingmojo.com forward slash taming your triggers. I'll see you there. But I still, even when we were stress tested, I sort of like dipped a toe. I didn't go all in. And I think this is where Jen and I differ a little bit, right? Like when she believes in something, she like goes all in. And I'm like, inch in, inch out, inch in, inch out. So is there any dads listening out there? I think we're we're programmed more to inch in a job, but like definitely consider some of these tools because I've learned firsthand like there's a lot of stuff that we could be doing to help ourselves versus like stress ourselves. Karis is waiting. <laughs> <laughs> she is. <laughs> 
So um, we've covered a lot of really fun stuff and really um, heartfelt stories from Alvin. And we, Corinne and I, have more questions and we have listeners. We did not get the chance to ask the questions of the other listeners. So, but we ran out of time. We may have a part two to get to know Alvin more and Jen more and just share our stories about um, the joys and, and pains of parenting. So thanks for joining us for this Ask Alvin Anything episode. And um, again, congrats to Jen for the 200 plus episodes in the Your Parenting Mojo podcast. And yes, I think that's about all. And it's been um, really fun. And I'm looking forward to the part two. Thank you so much, Jen and Alvin and Iris. It's been great working with you on this. So thank you all. And I'm really excited to share this with the listeners. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for being thank with us. Appreciate it. I'll talk again soon. Hi, I'm Emma and I'm listening from the UK. We know you have a lot of choices about where you get information about parenting, and we're honoured that you've chosen us as we move toward a world in which everyone's lives and contributions are valued. If you'd like to help keep the show ad-free, please do consider making a donation on the episode page that Jen just mentioned. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Your Parenting Mojo podcast.